welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half-truth. Full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Steroids Podcast. Before we get to the questions today, I wanted to discuss one thing, and that is performance-enhancing drugs and diet, because I've had a lot of questions from a lot of different individuals about this. So the main thing that I have to say is that performance-enhancing drugs make all the food that you eat work better in your body for what you want it to do, repair and recovery. Repairing everything in your body, recovering everything in your body, strengthening your body. Steroids make the food that you eat do that process better, okay? It's called nutrient partitioning. It moves more of the fuel that you eat away from fat storage and towards rebuilding and repairing tissue. Okay, the other thing is that carbohydrates are a lot more important on performance-enhancing drugs than not on performance-enhancing drugs, okay? So growth hormone, um, metformin, insulin, steroids, anabolic steroids, testosterone, etc. They all increase muscle insulin sensitivity, okay? Insulin is a transport molecule. In order for in order to generally for stuff from your blood to get into your cells, uh there has to be a insulin signal, okay? Especially the muscle and fat cells. When that insulin signal the insulin signal is the molecule of insulin being released from your pancreas. When that's in your blood, uh that will then touch and uh, attach to insulin receptors on cells and when those insulin receptors on cells get stimulated then the cells open up and it allows the inflow of nutrients from the bloodstream into the cells of the body especially the fat and the muscle cells so with taking performance enhancing drugs and steroids they all increase the muscle cells specifically the muscle cell okay not the other cells of the body not the fat cells but the muscle cells they increase the sensitivity of the muscle cells to that hormone insulin. So when you eat carbs and then insulin gets released from your pancreas, when that insulin gets uh, interacts with the muscle cells, that those muscle cells have a lower threshold uh, for needing insulin before they will let in nutrients from the bloodstream than all the other cells in the body. So what you get is you get your muscle cells hoarding. You get them hoarding the nutrients from the food that you eat that is in your bloodstream. That's called nutrient partitioning. It preferentially goes to the muscle cells. And so this process gets, it's like an exponential proce uh, process when you add the steroids and the carbohydrates together, which then produces the insulin in your body. 
and then you have this increased muscle insulin sensitivity. So then more of the food that you eat goes into those muscle cells, the, the nutrients from them, and those muscle cells can start taking those uh, nutrients from the bloodstream at lower levels of insulin even than other cells, like fat cells. So that's the way that like people do recomposition and stuff on on steroids and you know eating carbs really makes steroids work really good okay if you don't eat a lot of carbs then plainly your steroids just don't really work you know that great they they work they work they work okay but it's not like a it's it's a different experience when you're eating a high, high carbohydrate diet on performance enhancing drugs than when you're doing it natural it's just a different experience or if you're on steroids and eating carbs and on steroids and not eating carbs, the person who is on steroids and eating carbs will have a completely different um, and more explosive gains and having everything go the way that they want it to. The person on carbs, on roids, more than the person not on carbs, on roids, okay? Carbs make a huge difference. And if you're on a low-carb diet and, you know, you're new to steroids or something, well, if you increase your carbs because you're having a lackluster experience on your cycle or something, if you just increase your carbs, it's like throwing fire on the gasoline, okay? So if you've got something going on and things are, you know, going, you're making some gains, but you're not eating carbs, you know, and you're on that gear, now you throw in some carbs and phew, you're like throwing gasoline all over the fire, and things start going really, really good. So carbs are much more important on anabolic steroids than not on anabolic steroids. The main difference in diet between naturals and people on roids is that naturals generally need less carbohydrates and people on roids generally, the more carbohydrates they eat, the bigger and stronger they get. And there's almost no limit to that. It's like the more you eat, the bigger and stronger you get. And that's that. Like as much as you can fit in your mouth. <laughs> that's That seems to be the way it works, you know. Uh, it's very, very powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. All right, first question of the day is from Arnold. And he says, my biceps aren't growing. I taking steroids since two years but biceps aren't grow yet what should i do suggest me something please okay the king of all bicep exercises is the preacher curl okay any anything where you support the humerus the part of your arm where the tricep and the bicep is you support that in front of you on a bench and then you have your arms uh lowering on that uh on that angle there you have them lowering and raising on that on that platform that you're resting like your elbow area on. Preacher curl. It's also called a Scott curl. Larry Scott curl. Because Mr. Olympia, the first Mr. Olympia ever, Larry Scott, he invented doing this. Putting that bench with the angle in front of you called a preacher curl. And you do the preacher curls, okay? So do dumbbell curls. Do barbell curls. Do any kind of curls. Just be all over that preacher bench. That's where it builds that middle part of the bicep. That's the best biceps exercises. Do that and gain weight. 
<laughs> Definitely gain weight because that's going to be something you're going to need to do if you want to build up your arms. Okay, the next question is from Vincent, who's worried about metformin and crashing his blood sugar. So that was pretty much his question was wanting to uh, have that explained. So metformin doesn't give you hypoglycemia, uh, and it certainly doesn't give you hypoglycemia in the way that something like insulin would, okay? So I'm not a medical doctor, and this is not medical advice. This is just me having a conversation with you, okay? So the the metformin, you know, even though it does sensitize you to insulin and, you know, it helps keep blood sugar in diabetics down, with uh, with people who are not on, you know, they're not having raised blood sugar, they just have regular blood sugar levels, it doesn't, like, put your blood pressure down. It doesn't it doesn't make you go hypoglycemic and symptoms of hypoglycemia are like feeling desperate or frantic for food and like maybe sweating a little bit or having chills and kind of like shaking, feeling shaky and weak and having, and maybe sweating a bit. Those are symptoms of hypoglycemia. And then somebody who like injected themselves with insulin, you know, they can like overdose on insulin and then go into hypoglycemic shock where, you know, hypoglycemia is where you have that low blood sugar and so then, you know, your brain doesn't have anything to, uh, doesn't have energy, you know, and it needs energy 20, you know, 24 hours a day. It can't store energy. So that's when people, they, you know, they pass out and they go into shock and, you know, there's been, you know, people die from that every year. People die from that every year, um, in America in Europe, everywhere in the world. So that's, you know, the danger of, of it's insulin use in general. Um, but metformin, it doesn't do that. Uh, metformin, it, what it's used for is that it specifically sensitizes the muscles to insulin, but not the fat. Um, it also reduces the amount of fat and carbs that you uh, absorb uh, from your food by 30% each. So it, like, you can eat the same amount of food, but absorb less calories from it. It's sort of a way for the body to let you eat some junk food or like kind of a cheat way to like eat some junk food, but you know, just poop it out and pee it out. Cause it kind of like goes right through you, or at least a portion of it goes right through you. You absorb less of the calories from the food that you eat with metformin. Um, but it doesn't crash your blood sugar. It does sensitize your, your muscles to insulin, but you won't uh, get crashed blood sugar, uh, from metformin. Uh, usually people take metformin at 1000 to 2000 milligrams per day. And, you know, really it, it doesn't do any, any hypoglycemia or crashing of your blood sugar. I, in my experience, it stabilizes my blood sugar. Actually, I feel less of, I feel less like, uh, you know, highs and lows if I eat sugar or if I eat, you know, a lot of bread or something like that, I feel less highs and lows in energy on metformin than uh, not on metformin. Uh, it has an ability to put your body into ketosis quickly. Uh, it makes it so that your body uh, produces, uh, it makes it so that your liver wants to uh, produce less glucose into your blood and burn fat as an energy source. It's a nutrient partitioning agent. So that's metformin. Uh, usually taken at a thousand to two thousand milligrams per day, uh, it works good in synergy with human growth hormone as a substitute for injectable insulin and for keeping your blood sugar levels good. Okay, the next question 
is from Rodrigue, and he says, question for your podcast. If you have some water retention because of dianabol and testosterone, should you reduce carbs and increase arimidex or eczemestane? Um, yeah, um, mainly increase the arimidex or eczemestane. Um, you know, that's totally individual. Each person is going to have a different uh, amount of eczemestane that they need, but or arimidex, but a general starting point is two or three tablets per week. And then, you know, if you have a system, if you have symptoms, then uh, take in more or less. If you're still having estrogen symptoms, then take in you know, another tablet each week. And if you're having, if you're not having them, and you're if you're feeling tired because of taking it, or like a poor appetite because of taking it, then take less of the anti-estrogen. That's kind of the way to get a little feel for that okay and then um yeah it's because of water retention from your dianabol and testosterone and yeah the the carbs yeah they do reduce uh water retention but you know you want to be eating carbs when you're on dianabol and testosterone because you want to have the muscle and strength and size effects that that can build for you so i would not uh reduce the carbs i would just lower my estrogen if you're still feeling ridiculously bloated, then yeah, reducing the carbs will help you to be less bloated. Next question is from E E85. Dan, what's your thoughts on why when I'm on a TRT dose or even up to 500 milligrams per week, I always go hypoglycemic. It sucks when it happens. I get crazy sick like I'm going to pass out and have to eat a bunch of sugary food to feel better. Yeah, that's the when we were talking about nutrient partitioning at the beginning of this episode, that's that happening. So the, since the, uh, the, any kind of steroids or testosterone or TRT or whatever, uh, since it sensitizes your muscle cells to the effects of insulin, it makes it so that the muscle cells are so sensitive to insulin that it's, uh, and, and the effects of it that, you know, they're kind of stealing out any of the blood sugar from your blood. Your muscles are, you know, very easily able to take blood sugar out of the blood and when they're doing that, this is this is for everybody who takes uh, hormones, who takes roids. <laughs> you know, when they're doing that, they all are going to have more of a propensity to uh, feel hypoglycemic or having low blood sugar. Okay, the next question is from Johnson. He asks, how long does it normally take, how many months, to lose all gains benefits of one steroid cycle? Provided you did the correct PCT using HCG, Clomid, etc. Like six months, a year, two years. Okay, so some of the gains will kind of stick around for longer than others. Generally, like as soon as you go off and you do PCT, like generally you don't just stay at the same level that you were when you were on gear. Generally you start like going backwards pretty much immediately um but this effect is stronger the bigger you are like the bigger you got on roids and the more roids that you needed to get there well then if you go off you know and you pct or something then the faster you will get smaller and lose those gains but if you didn't really like make a lot of gains on roids or just you know like some moderate gains some light roid use it sticks around for longer um you know, pretty much at around three months, at about three months off, that's when you start noticing, like, whoa, I'm definitely looking different now. 
once you hit about that 12 week threshold uh if you're if you do PCT and you've been off gear now uh for around 3 months you'll start seeing and i'm talking about nothing cuz a lot of guys when they say like i'm off they're really on something like <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're even on like 750 milligrams of test a week man people are crazy like the stuff that a lot of bodybuilders are, are not honest so a lot of guys say that they're off and it's not true okay but if you're actually off and and i mean you are taking zero hormones you know like you did your pct and now you're not taking any hormones you're not taking any oral you're not taking any injectable you're not taking any hormones okay that's what that means to be off in this case in this question that we're talking about right now <laughs> all right so all you jokers <laughs> that go off i'm uh um, uh, I'm talking to you, buddy. So if you, if you go off for more than three months, you're going to start feeling like you're changing. And then after like six months or one year off, like that's going to be a big difference. You're going to be going back towards more like what you were looking like when you were natural, you know, like if you're off for like a whole year, you're going to be moving pretty close to that. But you know, some of the gains just never go away. Uh, like, you'll always be a little bit bigger than you were naturally, like, if you go to the gym and train, uh, like, a bit. But it won't... Like generally, when you go off of roids, you start moving back towards what you look like natural. And three months after, you start seeing, like, okay, there's a difference now here. There's a difference. There's definitely a difference. And then between, like, one to two years being completely off is sometime when you'd be like if you stop training and everything or if you did keep training if you stop training then you'd you know after a year or two you'd be looking pretty much like you did you know natural but if you kept training you know you'd probably look a little bigger you know a little bigger more developed than you would natural but you'd still be back in that spectrum of after a couple years off one or two years off of roids you'd be back in that spectrum of people definitely wouldn't like assume you're on gear the moment they saw you or anything like that you'd be more back in that natural spectrum again okay next question can d-ball suppress thyroid function low t3 is showing on my blood work yeah all steroids suppress thyroid function a little bit it's some people more than others um, so people will have generally a little bit lower thyroid hormone levels in general on on roids everybody but uh some people are more affected by this than others so one thing that people do is they will take t4 thyroid hormone which is inactive thyroid hormone um to speed their metabolism back up by having uh the thyroid hormones again so your body converts it has to convert as a pro hormone t4 to t3 active thyroid hormone in your body so it's definitely not as harsh as t3 thyroid hormone t3 thyroid hormone is a really sucky uh bodybuilding chemical uh because it's super catabolic and even if you're on like really strong gear if you're like making gains and like gaining strength and gaining size in the gym and then you start taking like 50 micrograms of t3 per day like those gains will stop if you don't change something like like it can it really has a huge effect and can like overpower your gear so that's why t3 is like not a good uh bodybuilding chemical 
T4 is much less harsh, and usually people will take that at something between like 100 micrograms to 200 micrograms per day of T4, the pro-hormone that converts in your body to T3. It's just less harsh, so it doesn't have those as such extreme uh, performance not enhancing effects as T3 has. Um, but one thing about the, the lowered thyroid, the lowered T3 levels, is that that's one of the mechanisms by which steroids help you gain weight. So the thyroid speeds up the metabolic process of all the cells in your body. So if you have more thyroid hormone, like every cell in your body is then working quicker, working faster, and using more uh, nutrients, like at a quicker rate. So you're speeding up the rate of your entire body's process when you use the thyroid hormone. And if you lower the thyroid, uh, the thyroid hormone levels, you know, which is natural when you take uh, testosterone or other steroids, it's natural for your thyroid hormone T3 levels to go down uh, a bit. That's one of the mechanisms by which steroids cause weight gain. That's a clinical effect of steroids, just that when people take them, they gain weight. Uh, and this is one of the ways in which they function to do that. So, you know, combined with the, you know, steroids increasing muscle cell insulin sensitivity and then also lowering thyroid levels, that's one of the reasons why guys who are, like, really naturally skinny and can't gain weight, they usually, like, quickly blow up or, like, can gain weight on on once they get on roids because that muscle cell insulin sensitivity is is uh, so high the threshold for their muscles to hold on to energy is now lower so more of the food that they can eat that they eat can get put into the muscles and then the other thing is that they have a lowered thyroid level so a lot of guys they're naturally skinny um you know they have fast thyroids that are releasing a lot of thyroid hormone and so when they take the roids then you know that thyroid hormone gets lowered and uh, they're, they don't need as much uh, food anymore to maintain their weight. And so, boom, now they start gaining weight. Even if they keep the same diet, but they start getting on the roids, start gaining weight. So that's how that works. Next question is from Thanos. He's asking, uh, hair-friendly steroids, SARMs, and general tips to replicate the high DHT hardening effects of compounds like Masteron. Yeah, so guys who um, have hair loss in their genetics, so if you have hair loss in your genetics, then steroids will make you go bald. Um, and the, what hair loss means is it doesn't mean like, you know, you went through puberty and now you have like a hairline that's like on the top of your head. It's not down your forehead. That's not what hair loss genetics means. Hair loss genetics means when like you've got like, you know, actively like moving back parts of your hair, like from year to year you know, you've noticed that your hair has continually, you know, the line changed, okay? That's how hair loss genetics are. Sometimes guys don't go bald either until they're, like, way older and they don't show hair loss genetics, but usually, usually, guys start showing, you know, when they're around, like, 20 years old or so. They start showing some kind of signs of that. So what hair loss is caused by is by dihydrotestosterone, a metabolite or a product of testosterone, it's uh it attaches to receptors in the uh the skin and the hair follicle in the scalp and uh those if you have the genetics for this when those dihydrotestosterone molecules come and attach to those androgen receptors in your scalp 
at a sufficient amount, it's a programmed death in the hair follicle in your scalp. And so then the, the cell dies and it's dead. Uh, so it no longer produces hair. And so that's how if you have the genetics for the, to make that happen, that's called the male pattern baldness gene, then you go bald, you know, when you start taking like testosterone and, you know, like strong roids that can then go and affect and touch that hair, okay? But if you don't have that in your genetics, then steroids don't affect your hair at all. So guys like Mr. Olympia, Jay Cutler, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tom Platts, me, Dan the bodybuilder in Thailand, we don't have hair loss in our genetics. We're not going to ever go bald. So we can take any amount of uh, steroids and it doesn't have any effect on our hair, okay? But for guys that do have hair loss in their genetics, Ronnie Coleman, uh, Dexter Jackson, uh, Phil Heath, okay? Those pro bodybuilders, those guys, they go bald when they take roids. And, you know, since they've got to take a lot, there's really nothing that they can do about it. But for guys that have got that genetics, the male pattern baldness gene, and they're looking to take roids, and they uh, are worried about going bald, okay? The roids that are the best, this is the way of taking roids that is the best known for keeping your hair if you have those hair loss genetics. Okay, so no injecting testosterone. They just inject DECA, okay? They run DECA. That's the only injectable that they use. They don't use other injectables. They just use DECA. Because DECA used alone without other stuff generally doesn't kill your sex drive from the guys who like doing that. That's what they say. And then the other thing is that it doesn't generally cause hair loss. In guys that have been losing hair from steroids, from taking testosterone and other things, they switch to running DECA as their only injectable. And then that usually stops it because uh, the product that is made... Uh, remember dihydrotestosterone gets made from out of testosterone dihydrotestosterone is the molecule that uh attaches to the the receptors in your hair follicle on your scalp and causes the cell death uh so that is made when testosterone interacts with an enzyme in your body called 5 alpha reductase okay but if there's no testosterone in the blood because you're not taking any testosterone and then you're taking deca so you you know your balls aren't going to be producing any testosterone that way either because you're taking deca and so then DECA is going to interact. It's called nandrolone. That's the chemical name or the generic name for DECA. DECA is the brand name from Orginon. Orginon is the company who invented DECA and uh, marketed it. DECA Durablin, but it means nandrolone decanoate. That's the ester, you know, like testosterone and anthate. Nandrolone decanoate. So, yeah, generally they use the DECA as the only injectable. And then they use like Anavar as a, as an oral. And then, you know, you can use that. Growth hormone doesn't cause any hair loss. And generally that's like the way to keep your hair and use roids for the guys that are, you know, having the best chance of doing that. If you're genetically susceptible to it, losing hair, generally using DECA, Anavar, and then growth hormone is the best way to do bodybuilding and uh, have the best chance of keeping your hair. Okay, next question is, uh, what's your opinion on using a small hydrochlorothiazide dosage? Okay, that's a diuretic. Uh, 
12.5 to 50 milligrams regularly as a blood pressure lowering water flushing medication and utilizing it during cuts to get drier. Okay, so diuretics, they restrict certain electrolytes from your blood and then it makes it so that you retain less water. And hydrochlorothiazide restricts sodium retention. So with sodium, having that in your body, it attracts more water into your body. That's why you look fuller, you look better, you look more pumped, and you can actually get a better pump in the gym if you eat a lot of salt. Um, so when you take the hydrochlorothiazide diuretic, it makes it so that your body does not retain the sodium, uh, which means that there's much less water in your body. Uh, this can also cause muscle cramping, and it can also cause like heart failure. So diuretics are really dangerous drugs, and they're the cause of... A lot of deaths in bodybuilders like at competitions like most bodybuilders that die at the competition it's because of diuretic uh, misuse so these are generally something that you don't want to take also they make you weaker when you take them it'll be like after you take them for a few days you'll be weaker in the gym and have a hard time working out um, they are something that is used before competition or before photo shoots and stuff like that to, you know, reduce water in the body and then make the person look drier and harder and get like that finished look. Um, and generally it's also prescribed, you know, it is prescribed by doctors to reduce blood pressure and it is uh, prescribed by doctors to reduce uh, water retention and uh, edema or water retention under the skin. And normally, the dosage that they prescribe is something like 25 milligrams a few times per week. That's generally what doctors prescribe hydrochlorothiazide at for those purposes. Again, guys, it's not smart to be messing around with diuretics. Things like insulin, diuretics, DNP, these are chemicals that can kill you. Okay, the other bodybuilding chemicals, it's very hard for you to die from using them. But with these chemicals, diuretics, insulin, DNP, you can kill yourself from messing up just one time with any of those chemicals. You know, you're not going to you're not going to have a, you know, a death from taking a Dianabol tablet. That's not happening, but you can from taking too much insulin or from taking too much DNP or from taking too much diuretics and doing it one time, okay? That can kill you. And the main thing with the, uh, with the diuretics is that it messes up when you lose those electrolytes, then it makes it so that the electrical signal that controls your heart contracting uh, gets funky, and uh, you can get heart palpitations, and you know people can have their heart seize or their heart just fail, and uh, then you know die from heart failure right there. So that's what happens to a lot of bodybuilders. Uh, cramping is one of the main signs of this is going to be a problem. Next question. Harry Benjamin asks, Hey man, can I ask if you have any advice or experience of the best way to bring estrogen levels down? I had loads of nasty big spots all over my back and itchy nipples, so I had my blood work done and my estrogen was high. So I started taking uh, 25 milligrams arimidex every other day and that made me so depressed head was completely screwed after just a week so i've been off that you found anything that's worked for you that doesn't have horrible side effects yeah um what dosage of testosterone are you using but 
generally, this is really individual. Oh, he said 0.25 milligrams of Arimidex. Okay, so he's saying that he's only taking a quarter tablet of Arimidex because usually Arimidex comes in uh, one milligram tablets. But he's saying that he's taking a quarter tablet um, three and a half times per week. So he's taking about one milligram total of Arimidex per week. All right, that's, uh, it's you know, from the the effects that you're saying, like you're depressed, your head was screwed up for a week, that is the symptoms of taking too much uh, aromatase inhibitor. Like if you take too much exemestane, if you take too much arimidex, if you take too much letrozole and you crash your estrogen levels, your brain needs estrogen to function correctly and it'll like really screw your head up, you know, a massive head fog and you'll like, it'll be like hard to do anything. Like even getting out of bed to like go to the bathroom will be hard for a few days. Uh, because your brain seriously needs that estrogen in order to function. Uh, so it does sound like from the from the uh, symptoms you described that you have low crashed estrogen levels. Um, you know, but taking such a low dosage like that, that's like really surprising because normally, you know, you wouldn't see a lot of guys getting any effects like that unless they were using more than three milligrams per week. You know, that... For a guy that's on 500 or 750 milligrams of testosterone per week, an average dosage of Arimidex would be like something like, you know, two or three or four tablets per week, you know, spaced out throughout the week. For a guy that was on 500 to 750 milligrams of testosterone, anywhere from two to three to four one milligram tablets of Arimidex per week would be what you know, on average they would take and then have a good estrogen level from that. So if your estrogen was high and then you only took, you know, one milligram total of Arimidex a week, um, that's like really low. And it just means that you're super sensitive to it. So you got to take less. And then also anecdotally is that Arimidex and Letrozole, um, are synthetic chemicals that bind to the estrogen molecule and make it so that it can't or sorry, they bind to the aromatase molecule, the aromatase enzyme, and they make it so it can't bind to testosterone, okay? They prevent it from binding to testosterone, and so then it can't transform the testosterone into estrogen. Um, but there are synthetic chemicals that do that. But then exemestane is actually a steroid that does that. It's a prohormone. It's related to the, you know, the prohormone 4-andro. It's similar to that, okay? And so it, since it's a hormone, it doesn't it's less likely to have weird effects on your head. You know, some people do are just get weird effects on their head from taking, uh, from taking AIs, aromatase inhibitors, letrozole and aromatex. Sometimes even if people don't get low estrogen, they still get weird like head effects from it. It's unusual, but it does happen. And, uh, you know, out of all those anti-estrogens by far, the one that has the best feeling on it or just like the best reviews, like, you know, people that have taken it say, you know, I didn't have problems with that. It did what it was supposed to do. And myself too, like the way that I feel when I take exemestane aromasin is the best. And it also has the least health effects. It has, you know, it doesn't have the bad cholesterol and uh, blood lipid side effects that the uh, other antiestrogens like letrozole and arimidex have. So exemestane by far the most superior antiestrogen. It comes in 25 milligram tablets. And if you, uh, you know, you're somebody that's, you know, only taking a milligram of Arimidex per week and you're having problems, 
but you're showing high estrogen sometimes on your blood work, then I would definitely give Eximestane, Aromacin a try if it was me because, you know, mentally I have felt some, you know, kind of weird effects or brain fog or something like that from letrozole just from being on it, you know, not, not from having low estrogen. I felt some kind of like fogginess. And, you know, I definitely do not feel that at all on Eximestane. Like, uh, it, it, I like that stuff. Eximestane, the way that it feels, the experience of taking it is far superior than Letrozole or Imudex in the land of aromatase inhibitors. All right, next question. Caruso asks, what's the best test booster in your opinion? I know it's not testofuel or testogen. <laughs> yeah, the best testosterone booster is HCG and Nolvidex. Uh, <clears throat> those both, you know, with HCG temporarily, you can get, you know, steroid cycle like testosterone levels, you know, the equivalent testosterone levels of something like 500 milligrams per week. But that would be foolish because you'd have to take, you know, a high dosage, something like one vial per week of HCG to get up to that level of natural testosterone production. And it would also desensitize your testicles to the effects of HCG or the natural body's chemical luteinizing hormone. So the better way to do it is to take Nolvidex, which makes your body's uh, hypothalamic pituitary gonadal access uh, run quicker and run. It, it makes it think that it needs to do more work the more Nolvidex you take. So starting at like 20 to 40 milligrams up to 60 milligrams, I mean, around like 40 milligrams of, or of Nolvidex per day that will double anybody who takes its testosterone levels. But at the same time, Novidex also lowers IGF-1. Now, you know, people don't get big and get, like, steroid gains from taking Novidex either, so it's kind of a fool's errand, like, trying to, like, um, you know, boost your natural testosterone. That's kind of like a scam. Um, the way The way that you need to do it is if you're looking, you know, to do something where you can just take a pill or something like that, then... SARMs is the best option or pro-hormones is the best option uh, because, you know, like SARMs, they're not illegal. You can buy them legally. There's some articles reviewing them on my website, uh, bodybuilderinthailand.com. This is the steroids podcast, okay? But my personal website, bodybuilderinthailand.com, normally for this podcast, you go to steroidpodcast.com. But on my personal website, bodybuilderinthailand.com, review some of those uh, SARMs. And, you know, they have steroid-like effects. They work on your hormone receptors, on your androgen hormone receptors, the same way that steroids do to do their effects. And they're going to work way better than doing something like taking Nolvidex or HCG and expecting to get gains from that. I mean, you might get a little bit of gains from that, but it's going to be very marginal. Um, that's, you know, not... Like I said before, it's a fool's errand to uh, be trying to boost your natural testosterone levels to get gains, to get muscle gains. You need to be putting in hormones or things that stimulate hormone receptors from the outside. That's the way to get gains that make you look like you're, you know, juiced. <laughs> you got to take juice. So that's the, I don't believe in testosterone boosters. If you want to boost your male hormone levels and you want to like, you know, make some gains in the gym, then you got to get yourself some SARMs or you got to get yourself some pro-hormones if, if you don't want to take steroids, if you don't want to take, you know, regular steroids, injectable steroids, whatever, then you got to get some SARMs or pro-hormones and uh, boosting your natural testosterone is not going to be the bullet you're looking for. 
Joe asks question on how to use metformin. I have 500 milligram metformin hydrochloride tablets. I know it acts like a carb blocker. I'm concerned about low blood sugar issues. Ah, similar to the guy before. Also, should it be taken every day or just before a big carb cheat meal? My goal is to drop a few pounds of body fat, but I also don't want my performance in the gym to suffer. I'm thinking metformin before a cheat meal will lessen the insulin spike and keep me on the right fat loss path. Thanks. Yeah. So 500 milligrams metformin is the normal uh, immediate release tablet dosage. So the first thing with metformin is that the main effect when you first start taking it that you notice is uh, gastrointestinal issues. So digestive system problems like farting and diarrhea. So like the first two weeks that you take metformin, you got diarrhea 24 hours a day. And it's like, you got to be careful because you got some serious diarrhea and, and like gas, you know, like farting. So then that your body gets used to it after that because it changes the environment in your gut. It changes the bacteria environment in your gut to take metformin. So they've you know, your gut freaks out for a couple of weeks and then between week two to week four, um, it gets, you know, better each day and it's not as bad. And then by the time that week four hits, then, you know, you're back to normal with your gut, but there's this break in period of taking metformin. So if you just go like drop a metformin out of nowhere, that's like dropping a diarrhea tablet down you. <laughs> so as far as like using it infrequently or sparingly for cheat meals, like, yeah, it will work and it will get, make you have diarrhea and like make you not absorb the food. Uh, but you know, it, it's going to not be fun because you're going to be gassy and you're going to have the squirts. It's going to be the runs. It's not going to be fun. I don't recommend that. Um, I definitely recommend, you know, if you use metformin to use it every day, because that's the only way that your body gets used to it. Uh, your gut gets used to it. And then, you know, you still, you get a normal gut. The only thing is that with metformin, there's a certain metformin smell that comes out in your poop and your pee. Okay. But it doesn't come out of your skin or anything like that, or your hair or anything like that. So you don't smell like metformin, but when you go pee or when you go poop, if you're on metformin, it smells like metformin. <laughs> I am not pulling your leg right now. That is a real thing. That's a known thing. The metformin smell. But the only time that you would ever smell that is if you go pee or poop. It doesn't come out in your body odor at all. So know that. Um, it does help you lose weight. For one thing, when you're on metformin, 30% of the energy from carbs and fat does not get absorbed through the gut into your bloodstream. So it just passes through you after you eat it and you poop it out and the energy doesn't get into you. So for the same amount of food, you are, if you eat the same amount of food um, on metformin that you ate off metformin, you will absorb less calories from that same food. So that's one of the ways that it helps you lose weight. Um, the main way that it does and then uh, also in the first two weeks, since you're going diarrhea so much, it's like you don't absorb barely any nutrients from the food you eat. And so you lose a bunch of weight during the first two weeks that you take it from having the diarrhea. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's how it works. Like, I mean, it is a way to mitigate, um, you know, fat gain from eating junk food. Like, it's definitely a tool that is used among people who eat a lot of junk food. Um, and want to mitigate fat gain, like taking some human growth hormone with some metformin and then taking roids at the same time. It's a way to eat a lot of junk and sort of have the metformin kind of just get the junk through the body. And then it's a nutrient partitioner, you know, it makes more of the food that you eat go into your muscles 
and the other body parts, you know, they don't get that same effect. So taking metformin, steroids, and human growth hormone, oh my gosh, your muscle cells are so sensitive to insulin. So, you know, when you eat junk food or you eat like a lot of food or a lot of carbs, like your muscles just take all the energy. It's crazy nutrient partitioner. It really, like that's the whole point of performance enhancing drugs. And that's why like insulin manipulation is so important. And, you know, having insulin sensitivity and stuff like that is so important is because that's like how performance enhancing drugs work is manipulating the way that your food is absorbed and used in your body. And insulin is so important to that. Okay. Next question is Robbie. And he says, I'm, uh, Hey Dan, love the podcast. I'm 45 years old and I'm about at the end of my test one gram trend 200 milligram cycle I was originally going to get off everything start HCG 3000 milligrams per week or 3000 IU per week <clears throat> and a couple weeks after start Clomid Nova so full PCT and off for two months minimum after listening to one of your podcasts I think number six you talked about cruising if not worried about fertility what would you suggest and if I did a cruise what would be a good dose of test okay good question um, first, uh, I wanted to t say one thing too, is that in these podcasts, I'm just rolling the tape. So if I make a mistake and say like milliliters instead of milligrams, like my tongue gets tied, forgive me. All right. So to get to your question, Robbie, as far as cruising goes, dude, um, you just want to take, uh, your natural hormones. You want to replace them or something near that. So a common way to cruise would be to have done a steroid cycle where, you know, it may harm your health a bit. And then when you're finished with the uh, steroid cycle, you just go to a testosterone replacement therapy dosage of testosterone, which is normally one cc a week, which means 200 milligrams or 250 milligrams of testosterone per week. And then you don't have to uh, have low testosterone and go through PCT and have to take through post-cycle therapy drugs and, uh, you know, go through that whole shitty experience and you can, uh, you know, not lose your gains as much between cycles, uh, by staying on steroids, it's called blasting and cruising. That's where when you're not on a steroid cycle, you take testosterone replacement therapy in between your steroid cycles. One CC per week is usually the number. Um, and yeah, the point of PCT or sorry, the point of cruising is that you want to allow your body to not have any toxicity, okay? So any uh, anything that causes any toxicity, any other steroids you're taking, any other drugs you're taking, you don't want to be taking those while you do the cruise, okay? While you take the one cc of testosterone per week because the point of the cruise is to get the health back to 100%, get all the blood work markers, you know, all your health markers. You want them to all be looking great, okay? That's the point of the cruise, so everything that is doing any kind of toxicity in your body must go and then the testosterone dosage must be low enough that your body is not having a toxic response and all of the blood work is able to get into good range reality check asks i don't have much experience with anadrol but is it good for fat loss compared to trend how low calories can you go while retaining 99 percent of your muscle on trend all right so 
Anadrol is not as good for fat loss as Tren. So Tren really like burns fat pretty dang effectively. Uh, it's an effective fat burner. But Anadrol, you might burn a little bit of fat while you're on it, especially if you're like new to steroids or you haven't done any steroids in a long time. If you took Anadrol, yeah, you'd probably burn some fat on it. But, you know, it it normally isn't like a fat burner. You're not going to be taking that. Otherwise, like if you take that in your cycles and you're expecting Anadrol to burn a bunch of fat, I mean, it's not. You may lose a little bit of fat on it and gain a little bit of size at the same time just because of better nutrient partitioning. But it's not going to be anything like real significant because of taking that. And then as far as uh, retaining your muscles on the trend is, you know, really, if you've got, I mean, even even 50 milligrams of Trendolone every other day, so 175 milligrams per week, but, you know, preferably 100 milligrams of Trendolone acetate every other day, so 350 milligrams per week, you know, if you're on that dosage, but possibly even on, you know, you know probably even on 175 milligrams per week preferably 350 milligrams per week you're not losing any muscle man you can just like stop eating food and that trend balloon locks that muscle onto your body you're not losing muscle what will happen is you will look a lot less muscular if you stop eating food and if you stop eating carbohydrates you will look a lot less muscular but the muscle just goes into hibernation Um, like the trend will not allow muscle fiber to be catabolized and you know eaten for energy until like all the fat on the body is gone like it puts a force field around it and it can't be taken away like the size will the size and the shape and the look how impressive it looks will temporarily go down because it's what you're it's what is called going very very flat having very very flat muscles low glycogen in the muscles and they go into what looks like a hibernation mode this but once you uh, once you eat again, they go right back to the way that they were. So if you put that trend balloon in you, it pretty much 100% blocks any kind of your body eating muscle tissue. That just does not happen. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how little you eat. It's just not happening until all your fat is burned off. So trend balloon, that's why it's such an incredible dieting drug, is... It protects muscle like crazy, and it actively burns fat. It's really something else. Next question is from Paramore, who asks, Thanks. How low calories can you go... Oh, that's... Okay. I read Paramore's question. So the last question was from Paramore. The one about retaining 99% of your muscle on trend. Next question is from Sino, who asks... Mate, I was speaking with a guy. He told me that most of the fitness models run this cycle. 2IU, pharmaceutical-grade human growth hormone, year-round. <laughs> then they do six weeks, 250 testinanthate. Then six weeks, 250 testinanthate, 700 trenbolone acetate, 700 anivar. Skywalker maintains a similar physique with much less. What do you think? <clears throat> yeah, so John Skywalker... He, uh, he uses about 350 milligrams of testosterone propionate and 350 milligrams of trenbolone acetate. He's an Instagram model. Uh, got a great physique. 
looks a lot like Z's, but a better version. And, uh, you know, that's what he uses uh, for his drugs. And, and that's what he, he talks about his cycle. Sometimes he uses a little more. He'll use like 450 milligrams of trend sometimes or something like that. But he's honest about his dosages. Um, and I think that that his dosages are more accurate. Also, yes, human growth hormone, pharmaceutical grade human growth hormone is used. You know, not everybody's using it. Um, but some people are, you know, a good portion of them are. I don't know whether or not John Skywalker uses human growth hormone. I haven't talked to him about it. Uh, but I do know that he uses 350 milligrams of trembolone acetate and 350 milligrams of testosterone propionate per week on average. And, you know, he has that physique that is the fitness model physique. So if that's what you're looking for, he's like the number one guy. So run his cycle. And if you don't think your genetics are as good as him, then put two to four or six IU of pharmaceutical grade growth hormone in there and then your genetics will pretty much seem like they're about as good as him. <laughs> Next question is from Blue STI. Quick question for the podcast, Dan. Do you have to change your diet while being on cycle, like eat more carbs and protein than you normally do? Also, do you do TRT or do you blast and cruise? Yeah. Um, protein, you just eat the same amount of protein. You can eat a little bit more um, on cycle. Um I mean, you can eat more of everything, though. Like, more of all of the food that you eat goes towards muscle and stays away from fat when you're on roids. You can eat more food, and more of it goes towards muscle than fat. So it changes the way that your body uses food. It changes how much of the carbs, protein, and fat are used for muscle, muscle building, and muscle fuel storage um, compared to how much of that uh, carbs, protein, and fat goes to uh, fat cells and you know human growth hormone does this very effectively and very potently too that's why it's, there is such a incredibly potent combination with steroids is it changes the way that your entire body uses protein carbs and fat so very uh, very good body composition drug human growth hormone um, and as far as carbohydrates Again, that's number one. If you're trying to get big and strong and freaky, then carbohydrates. And yeah, gear makes you use carbohydrates way better than not being on gear. Carbohydrates and gear are like bread and butter. They go together. The more carbohydrates you eat, the bigger and stronger you get. Point blank. All right. He also asks, do I do TRT? Okay, the way that I do it is I've been doing it this way for years. And what I do is I do cycles. So I'll do like a eight week cycle or a 10 week cycle or a 12 week cycle. And I'll do whatever, you know, a cycle for me would be something like a thousand milligrams testosterone per week. Um, and do that for like 12 weeks. And then, uh, you know, I might take a hundred milligrams of anadrol per day for four weeks. And then I might take a two week break and then I might take 50 milligrams anadrol for another six, or sorry, another, I would stop the anadrol after the four weeks, then take like a two week break. And then for the last six weeks with the thousand milligrams of testosterone per week, I would take Winstrol 50 milligrams or 75 milligrams or hundred milligrams, or probably go somewhere between those dosages 
during that time, or I might even add in, you know, a little bit of Anadrol again, like 50 milligrams per day of Anadrol again for the last two weeks in addition to the Winstrol. Those are the kind of cycles that I usually run, or I'll do something like run in, you know, Primobolin and testosterone, like maybe 700 of each or a thousand milligrams of each. Um, and I really like human growth hormone. I think that human growth hormone is like incredible. So the combination of testosterone with human growth hormone can pretty much get you like everything you want from bodybuilding. If you can just add in a little bit of something else like Primobolin or some kind of oral steroid uh, to get those cosmetic effects, then that's, you know, the combination of those things is pretty much can get you everything that you want in bodybuilding. Uh, so those, those are the things that I like to use. And then when I'm done with that cycle, you know, 10, 12, you know, 15 weeks, something like that usually about 12 weeks, uh, then I will uh, just stop taking everything. I won't take any performance-enhancing drugs. I'll just, uh, the only thing I'll keep taking is my 500 IU of HCG uh, per week because I use that year-round to keep my testicles functioning, to keep my uh, to keep me producing sperm and testosterone naturally year-round. I use 500 IU of HCG injected once per week intramuscularly. Um, so I just stay on that all year and I come off, I come off all the gear, any growth hormone, any, uh, any steroids, any testosterone, any orals, anything like that. I don't, I don't take that anymore. And then I don't take any PCT. I just stop taking everything and just keep on taking that HCG at 500 IU. And I do that for like five or six or eight weeks or something like that. And then I'll start doing TRT. So I'll start at that point, I'll start doing one, usually about one cc of testosterone per week. And I'll do that for like something like four weeks or again, like eight weeks or something. So now it's a total of like three months or so since my last cycle. And then usually I'll start up a new cycle because usually then I'm getting like antsy and like want to be making some nice progress in the gym again. So that's usually when I would start uh, my next cycle after a you know, a month or two off of everything except for the HCG. And then a month or two after that of doing TRT, one CC of testosterone per week, then do another cycle, 10, 12, 15 week cycle or something like that. That's typical with me. That's the way that I've been doing it for a few years. All right. Last question of the day is Sam who asks what to take if you want a crazy sex drive for a month. Yeah. So I would say, you know, stack master on, and proviron but there's no really point that's kind of redundant uh but you know masteron actually probably has a stronger sex drive effect than proviron so proviron is oral tablets and like milligram per milligram they're pretty similar in potency for their sex drive effects so like 100 milligrams of proviron per day is like outrageously strong dude like outrageous okay uh but like you know, 100 milligrams um, Masteron per day is also outrageous. And, you know, I'd pretty much say the effects are the same, but, you know, I would lean towards the Masteron actually because uh, the Masteron seems to be a more potent, like all day long, all night long, it's on your mind kind of effect. Uh, whereas Proviron is not, it seems to be a little bit less steady all the time. It's more of an up and down thing or something like that. I, I mean, I'm I'm splitting hairs though right now, man. I'm splitting hairs, so 
If you, like you said, Sam, wanted to have a crazy sex drive for a month, <laughs> well, then, you know, the number, the two things that you'd want to have on your hands are, uh, as far as steroids would be, Mastron and Proviron. You'd probably just want to experiment with those, you know, taking anywhere from 50 to 100 milligrams per day of each or taking them at the same time, you know, whatever you want. It's up to you to do what you want to experiment with it. And then the other thing is with the testosterone, you don't want that to be real high because when you when you have a lot of testosterone, you get a bunch of all these other hormones, they're metabolites or products of testosterone in your blood. And then when those get high, it can kind of like screw things up. So usually people have the best sex drive on, of testosterone on around like TRT, about one cc of testosterone per week generally gives the best uh, and most consistent uh, sex drive effects. It's the most consistent uh, so something like, you know, a hundred milligrams of Mastron per day with, uh, one CC of testosterone per week injected, you know, as a half CC Monday and Thursday, and then of the testosterone, and then you would take one CC of the Mastron every single day. And, uh, those would be like the best sex drive from steroids effects that you could get. But then also stuff like, um, Viagra, Sildenafil, and Cialis, Tadalafil, those are like totally performance-enhancing drugs for your dig. So, like, if normally when you have sex, like, you have, like, an 85% or 90% hardness dick, you know, for the majority of the time, well, if you take, you know, uh, Sildenafil, Viagra, or uh, Tadalafil, Cialis, well, it's going to be, like, 100%, like, every single time, Guaranteed, And if you have any kind of, like, performance anxiety or something like that, or, like, you know, thinking, like, oh, shit, like, I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to, like, get an erection. Like, if you take this stuff, that fear is going to go away, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> I would definitely say to get your hands on some of that, too, if that's what you're looking for. You know, taking those things, taking those things is generally good. You know, one time I took Caverject. And, uh, you know, I did this one time and I'm not going to do this ever again, but Caverject is an injectable, uh, thing that like you inject it into your dick and then it makes you get an erection like chemically. So it's, a uh, it's called Alprostadil. That's the chemical name. And it comes in a vial like HCG, you know, you mix it up with water and then you use an insulin syringe. What I did was, uh, I did, uh, 10 units it was it was 10 micrograms yeah and and you don't shoot it like into the head of your dick <laughs> you shoot it into like the base of the shaft like like diagonally uh so like you know like if you were like looking at your cock and the clock and you were like looking at it like it was a clock right so you you would you would inject the caverject at like uh like two o'clock or ten o'clock that would be like the part uh, and you would do it right at the base like right where your dick like comes out of your abdomen um and so yeah i did that i used a i used an insulin syringe with a 5 sixteenths uh of an inch long needle and it had a it had a 30 gauge thickness uh needle on it and even right now talking about it i want to like cover my dick because like i can't believe that i did that and uh but anyways yeah dude i freaking gave myself an injection in my dick uh with that caverject and you know what i put it in there and then you know i injected the alprostadil in there 
And you know what? By the time that I took, you know, then I went boop and pulled the syringe out, pulled the fucking needle out of my dick. Jeez. Er, gah, gah, gah. Uh, yeah, so I did that. And, uh, you know, instantly it started rising. And then for the next two hours, you know, I could go for a jog. I could go run laps. I could go to the gym and uh, lift weights. You know, anything, anything could be do done. And, you know, that uh, dick was not going to become unhard. That was just the way it was. And it was stuck that way for two hours. And then it slowly went away. And then it felt very sore for about... Um, for about 24 hours afterwards. That's how it was with Caverject. That's my Caverject Alprostadil story. If you would like your questions to be answered on the Steroids Podcast, go to steroidspodcast.com and leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast.com on Instagram. Until next time.